And uh, after I got through with my writing my first point, I realized there was no need in writing the second because I wasn't going to get the first one in. So my text today is, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I want us to look at that and think about that. This, these two verses are just packed and beautiful. As a little boy, I was in my living room. My mother and my grandfather were there, her dad. And I was just a little old bitty thing. I might have been maybe two, maybe three. It's my first memory, one of my first memories of getting in trouble. There were sure many to follow, but it was my first memory of actually getting in trouble. I had toys all over the place, and I had a ball that I was taking, and I was bouncing it off the wall, and I would chase it. I wasn't catching it very well, but I kept bouncing it off the wall. I found that to be an interesting way of playing. I know today it's hard to get kids to do such things that doesn't involve electronics in some way, but I was just bouncing the ball off of the wall. And once I bounced it, and it hit something else and careened and went up underneath the sofa. I looked up underneath that sofa, slammed my hand down on the ground, on the floor, and I said a bad word. My mom's eyes went like that. My grandfather's eyes went like that. And the first thing my mom said was, he didn't hear that from me. I mean, that's the first thing she said to her own daddy, you know. The second thing my mom said was, Ricky Dees, you should be ashamed of yourself. I was two. I really wasn't ashamed of myself. I didn't know I'd done anything wrong. Obviously, I'd heard that somewhere. As I said, that wasn't the last time. Sometime before I was five years old, I think I might have been about four, maybe five. Mom and dad had some friends over, and they had a couple of boys as well. And we were in our bedroom, my brother and I's bedroom, and we were bouncing up and down. It was somewhere around Valentine's Day because we had this big heart-shaped chocolate. had all these little chocolates in it. And I guess that was, you know, the fruit roll-up of the day. Here, kids, go in the room, be still, be quiet, play, all that good stuff, but here's your snack, all right? All the kids are going, Mom, can you give us some snacks like that? Chocolate, you know? Well, I want you to know with four boys in the room, door closed, we did not eat the snacks. We used the chocolates out of the heart-shaped box to try to hit one another. <laughs> Kids, do not do this at home. And man, we were chunking those things, man. We were, we were getting... Phew, 
And finally, what we realized was we had a bed. And so one would get up there and start jumping up and down on the bed, dodging the chocolate candy. And we were having a great time. And if you got hit by the chocolate candy, whoever hit you, it was their turn to jump on the bed. We went through the whole box a couple of times. When we ran out of ammo, we peeled it off the wall and started all over again. I'm going to get in trouble with some parents on this. Finally, the door opens up. What are y'all doing? There is chocolate candy stuck to the wall everywhere. The bed's about to fall apart. You know what I mean? The whole room is a wreck. You know what they said? You should be ashamed of yourself. That pattern repeated itself over and over again. Through my childhood. And I found out something. If you weren't as ashamed of yourself as they thought you ought to be, they would persecute you. They'd take a belt or something like that and they'd persecute you. There's some parents thinking, yeah, I can see that. If you weren't ashamed enough, they would make sure that you knew you ought to be. Here in Romans chapter 1, Paul has said in verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel in Rome. Y'all got Greeks, you got barbarians, you got wise, you got foolish, you got slaves, you got free, you got it all there. I want to proclaim the gospel to them and I'm eager to do it. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I want us to think about these words today. I want us to first to see that Paul is eager and not ashamed. And secondly, I want us to see the gospel as the spine of Christian faith and practice. As a reason why Paul's not ashamed. Why does Paul say this anyway? Why does he say it like this? Why does he say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, instead of, I'm proud of the gospel? Why did he do that? I, I think it was intentional. I think he intentionally wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I think it was intentional so that these words would counter what many people think he ought to be or think. He's writing to a church that is engulfed by a culture that is committed to reason and logic on one hand. And a gross immorality on the other hand. With such diversity of thinking that produces many objections to the gospel. As well as any claims of truth that seem illogical or prohibit their good time. They don't want to hear it. 
Paul's going into a place with a simple gospel message where simplicity is not a thing to be appreciated because of their logic and their ways of philosophy. Paul knew and knows wherever he goes, he will be challenged regarding the gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Although everybody thinks I ought to be. I'm not ashamed of what the gospel represents. Even though everybody dislikes me. For the gospel I believe. Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, no matter what you think about the gospel. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, and they're gathered together, and he's letting them know, I'm going to Jerusalem, you're probably not going to see me again. And he says there, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Why, Paul? Why do they await you? Why do afflictions await you? Why does imprisonment await you? Because of the gospel. It's their way of trying to convince me that I ought to be ashamed of myself. It's their way of saying that you know, what you're saying doesn't go along with the flow. I'm not ashamed for what I stand for, he said. And he was letting these elders know, I want you to know, this is what I expect. The only way I don't expect that is if I change my message to fit the day. And I'm just not going to do that. Because that wouldn't be the gospel. A couple of ways that Paul was said to, or spoken to, to be ashamed of what he said were accusations that came against him and persecutions that came against him. Let's look at a couple of accusations that came against him because he was in a town preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 13, look with me there. Turn back to the left a few pages. Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read a fairly large text here beginning in verse 44, Acts 13, 44.
the people had heard the gospel. They'd been hearing the gospel. Paul had been preaching the gospel. And they were excited. They said, we want to hear this again. So the next Sabbath, it says in verse 44, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. That word reviling, by the way. Uh, Revile means to speak against someone in such a way as to harm or hinder, injure his or her reputation. They were trying to smear his name. They were probably calling him names. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves. Unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You you hear it going on. I mean, they're accusing them. They're reviling them and they're... Stirring up people against them and against the message. They're being accused of being shameful. They're being accused of speaking words that would incite riots. All out of jealousy because the crowds were gathering around them. Paul said, We're going to keep speaking boldly, and he did. And he spoke boldly concerning the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, they got all excited about it, didn't they? I mean, they were kind of, yes, the gospel's for us too. So they were accusing, contradicting what he was saying. And they ran them out of town. You notice that. They said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And then, when they didn't feel ashamed enough, they persecuted them. They ran them out of town. Acts chapter 16, turn back to the right. Acts chapter 16, verse 19. We find Paul and Silas in Macedonia, namely uh, in, in Philippi. And look with me uh, in verse 19. But when her owners, let me go back up a little bit. Uh, Paul and, and Silas had this girl running around and she was proclaiming something. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing it and Paul finally had enough of it. And he turned around and he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, 
dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. There's the accusation. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Paul was accused. Well, what was he doing? He was proclaiming the gospel. He was preaching the gospel there in Philippi. All through Macedonia, actually. And what happened? These people, they weren't Jews. Okay? The people in Philippi. They were Greeks, if you will, or Gentiles. They said, these guys are Jews, and they're calling us to do things that are unlawful. They're inciting us to lawlessness. They want us to break the laws of Rome. It's their way of saying to Paul, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. In Acts chapter 18, we see again, they're in Corinth. Acts chapter 18, verse 12. Silas and Timothy again were being criticized. And the Lord had spoken to Paul and said, Don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent. I got lots of people here. He stayed there a while, but when uh, Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names of your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. Paul here was accused of persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. The law of God. So these were Jews bringing an accusation. And they were accusing Paul of something. Hey, you know what? This word that you're preaching, this thing you're talking about, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, this Salvation that you say is only through Him. You're teaching us to go away from the law of God. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Paul. We see the persecutions often follow that. You know, Christians today are being accused of all kinds of things. Bigotry. Homophobia. Restrictors of human rights. 
You know, all of what we stand for and hope for finds its footing in the same gospel that Paul proclaimed. It always does. Paul was accused and he was persecuted. Second Corinthians chapter 11, he talks a little bit about that, giving a fairly comprehensive list of his persecutions. Second Corinthians chapter 11. He acknowledges that he's speaking like a fool here. But the Corinthians have been listening to some false gospels. And Paul pushing against those false gospels in his letter to the Corinthians. Says, you listen to them, but I want you to listen to me. I stand for the true gospel. And you know how you know I stand for the true gospel? What I endure for it. Beginning there in verse 21, he says, To my shame, I must say, uh, we were weak. We were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. And often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night, a day, I was at drift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from other things, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. <laughs> you see, Paul didn't listen very well. When the people around him and the cultures around him and the societies around him and the religious leaders around him said, Paul, you should be ashamed of yourself. And as a result, he walked through all these persecutions night and day, every single day. People awaiting to arrest him. People awaiting to seize him. And Paul says back to them, I'm not ashamed. Although many, many believe I ought to be. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of all that the gospel calls me to 
I'm not ashamed of standing for those who can't stand for themselves. I'm not ashamed of pointing out the sinfulness that exists in this world. I'm not ashamed of letting people know their only hope is in Jesus Christ. Not ashamed. Paul said, I'm eager to preach the gospel. Not ashamed of it. I'm quite proud of it. It's not my gospel, but it's the gospel that he's given me. And in it, there's power. And revealed from it is righteousness. Kind of with that foundation, I want to launch into the second point. That the gospel is the spine of of Christian faith and practice. The spine. This thing behind you that runs from here to here. It connects your head with the rest of your body. And it is an absolute necessary part of your body. Your spine serves important functions of connecting your brain to other parts of your body and providing structural support. You can't live without a spine. Three primary functions are that the spinal, uh, it protect, your spine protects the spinal cord, nerve roots, and several other bodies of the body's internal organs. That's why going to a chiropractor scares me. <laughs> I used to have to go to them all the time. Man, they'd crack all sorts of things. I was little. They thought my neck was the cause of many of my seizures. So when I was 9, 10, 11 years old, I consistently went to a chiropractor. And let me tell you something, it never hurt. And I always walked out of there like a noodle, but I never walked in not scared. Because of all the stuff that would pop. Now what if you break something, Mom? It'll be alright, don't worry about it. It also provides structural support and balance to maintain an upright posture, which I have noticed over the years starts going away. Okay? All right, I try to stand upright. I can't do it. I don't know why it is. My mom used to say, Rick, sit up straight. I never could figure out why she wanted me to do that. It was uncomfortable. But it was so that I would develop a good posture. It's supposed to keep you up straight, it's structural support. But it also enables flexible motion, which, by the way, as you get older, starts diminishing also. Chopping some wood yesterday, pick up the piece of wood. I did that about three times, and coming up was a little harder every time. Spine is incredibly important, and it enables that flexible motion. The gospel is the spine of Christian faith without it? 
We live in a world that you cannot even imagine. The worst post-apocalyptic movie doesn't come close to describing what would exist apart from the gospel being in the world. It would be cataclysmic. Remove one element from the gospel and it is useless. One element. Remove God from the gospel and there is no origin for it and there is no love to motivate it. Remove man and his sinfulness from the gospel. I mean, think about it. People are always saying, well, you know, man innately, we're good. Remember I said I was about two? I wasn't good at two. Say, yeah, Rick, you're the exception. No, I'm not. I had three two-year-olds. I've had seven, oh, six grandchildren who've been two. At two, the total depravity of mankind shows its head in a child. Yes? Remove man and his sinfulness, there's nothing to redeem. Remove Christ, his perfect life, death, or resurrection, any of those three, any of those three. Remove those from the gospel. And there is no substitutionary redeemer. None. All of these are consistently attacked, by the way, in the world in which we live. All of these are attacked, just like Paul was attacked and accused. What are some of the things that we often hear in reference to God? What, do you really believe that God exists? You know, used to people would say, uh, you know, make fun of you because you believe the gospel. Today they make fun of you because you believe something is absolutely true. Anything. But they'll ask, do you really think God exists? Of course I believe God exists. How, well, how do you know? Well, the Word of God tells me so. Well, you know what? That's just a crutch for you. I want you to know that God does indeed exist. They will begin coming down with all sorts of things. But do you know what upholds that? The gospel. Our belief in the living God, I don't want you to know that the gospel is the spine that holds that up. I believe the gospel, and because I believe the gospel, and I know the gospel is true, I look back at the beginning and it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. They say, well, the universe didn't have a beginning. Yes, it did. It did have a beginning. They proved that it had a beginning. And do you know what proof that there is a beginning to the universe means? There is something outside the universe that caused it to happen. 
I think it was Aristotle who called that the unmoved mover. Do you know what we call it? The living God. He began everything. I want you to see, remove God, and there's no origin for the gospel. But people are constantly throwing their spitwads at God, throwing their spitwads at us, and saying, you know what, there's no God. Sure there is. You say, how can we stand? Just stand. That's what Paul did. He just stood. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the truth. I'm not ashamed of what I believe. The foundation of it is not me. The foundation of it is the word of God, the gospel of God. Remove God, remove man, remove his sinfulness, remove Christ, his perfect life, death and resurrection. There is no gospel. Not one that's effective to save and redeem. Remove the gospel and there's no goal for moral striving. Take it away. And there's no goal for moral striving. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. uh, Paul uh, points this out. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Remove the gospel. There's no goal for moral striving. You hear that? Let your life, manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's the moral goal. I, I mean, here's the gospel. Let that be your manner of life. It upholds our manner of life. It is the standard. It is the support of what we call right and good and faithful and just. Remove the gospel and there's no barrier against evil. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is what we're against as Christians. This is what the gospel stands against. Things that are beyond this world, but also things that are within this world. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. My preaching the gospel changes things. The gospel that I proclaim and the power with which it goes forth brings about change in lives. Like the young lady who was set free that was running around and and, and, and saying, hey, these people, they're, they're proclaiming the gospel. And Paul said, you know, enough is enough. And he turned around. And he said, in the name of the Jesus, come out of her. Came out, ruined their fortunes. But I want you to know, God's approval was behind that. Because in the name of Jesus Christ, he did it. 
And today someone would say, you know what? You just invaded my privacy. You know what? You just did something against me. Let me tell you something. God approved of him taking away that from those people. She was enslaved and in bondage. He did what was right. What was the source of it? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That well, you really don't have any right to tell anybody what to do. I don't tell anybody what to do, but I do tell them what is right. And that's what the gospel always does. It's what flows out of the gospel. It is the support. It is what tells us the gospel. Uh, we are truth bearers in this world. The church, that's who we are. I'm not going to sit back. I think we've done that enough. I'm not going to tell anybody what they can do. I'm not after a theocracy. I'm after people knowing what is right. Imagine if there were no Christians in this world standing up, proclaiming the gospel, making known the truth, what is right and what is wrong. If that was not here, who would be holding back the tide of evil that would come? No one. You say, well, the government would. No, they wouldn't. They would fund it just like they do today. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because the gospel is doing something. The gospel is holding back evil. The gospel is is giving us a moral standard by which to live. The gospel is redeeming people. I'm not ashamed of that. And I'll never be ashamed of it. You don't be ashamed of it. I have so many people that talk with me and ask me about some of the moral framework and foundations that are going away. Rick, what do we do? How do we stop it? Now, my thing is, you probably won't. But you can apply pressure. You can push back. You can raise up another generation that knows the truth and loves the truth. That's what you can do. That's what we can all do. Walk faithfully and live our life in a manner worthy of the gospel for which we're not to be ashamed. But we're to proudly display and make known as believers in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the goodness of your love and your grace. We thank you, God, that you have given us life in Jesus, and Father, that we do know what is right, what is good, what is holy, what is just. We want to live in light of all these things. We want to live, Lord, in the manner in which you have called us to live. 
And so, Lord, help us to see that we have no reason to be ashamed of the truth that is proclaimed in your word. And instead, Lord, we would be faithful to stand fast. And we would be faithful to live in the love and grace that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.